morning. How's it going? It's good to see you guys on Sabbath morning. I like it. I like it. I noticed some of you guys have actually changed seats where you normally sit. I like that idea. Don't get too comfortable where we sit normally. That's nice. I like that. We are concluding today our journey through the life of Moses. And it's, uh, it's been a long journey. There's so much more we could talk about, though. Isn't that true? As you read these, these stories, they're unbelievable. They're amazing. But I am, uh, I'm excited to be able to finish it today. And it's quite an interesting end of the plot here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start right away from reading right from the Bible, if that's okay with you. It should come to the screen. Deuteronomy chapter 34. And I'm going to read 1 through 4. And uh, in the midst of reading it, I'm also going to be explaining some things, pontificating, as some may say, uh, some, of these, some of these things. Is that okay, too? Uh, here we go. It says, Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo. He's 120 years old, by the way. I am struggling climbing steps these days. And I'm half his age. He's climbing Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zor. And then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I don't know if you remember the day that Abraham was childless and he's, he's doubting God and God takes him outside and says, count the stars. Now, that's just being rhetorical here. I don't want you to actually count the stars. But my point is that as many as the stars are going to be your children. And sure enough, now there is this mass amount of people. And what God was saying is this is what you have journeyed towards all this time. This right here in front of you, this is the prize. This is the promised land. And then he says, I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. Hmm. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. It's like my mom would make this wonderful pasta dish and it would smell throughout the whole house and she'd make it on Saturday for Sunday and we would have to smell this thing and look at this big thing of baked gnocchi until we could finally enjoy it, right? Here he's being said, no, you cannot even have any. 
You know, one of my favorite movies, I, I will let you know this, is, is a, a, an old movie called Remember the Titans. Anybody ever watch Remember the Titans? Isn't that a great movie? I love that movie. And it, it's, it's just, uh, it's based on a true story of, of the T.C. Williams High School in Alexandria, Virginia. And there's this part in the movie, in the film, there is uh, an all-American by the name of Jerry Berthier. And if you remember the movie, if you, if you haven't seen it, this will tell you. He was one of the captains. And, and, and the, a couple of nights before their, their, their championship game, they're just kind of enjoying themselves as teenagers would. He's in the car. He's driving around. And somebody slams into him. And he is now paralyzed from the neck down. The team in the movie mourned his injury and vowed to win the title for him. And he is one of the most emotional moments of this movie is he's watching this game that he worked so hard for. He's watching it from the hospital and he's cheering his team on. Every time I watch that, I, I get all tearied and, and I've watched that movie so many times and I just, ah. Poor guy, he worked so hard to not only bring the team to, to, to that place from a sporting perspective, from being a great team, but also to, to bring the team united because there were these issues of otherness and, and racism back in those days that were so intense. And they were trying to, to help these schools to work together. And he worked towards that. And now he can't even play the game but he's cheering the team on. Isn't that cool? I have let you see it with your eyes. But you will not cross over into it. Why? Why, why did God do this? What happened? I am going to try my best to help you understand that. Is that okay? Just so you know, uh, from a human perspective, there's only so much that we can really grasp, but I'll do my best to share with you how I've settled with it. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, beginning with verse 50 through 52, by the way, uh, before I read this, I just want to share with you that I was explaining uh, this to uh, some friends and, and to my wife this morning, that normally when I preach something, it's very sequential. Uh, this is totally different. We're starting from his death, and now we're going like, it's like watching a movie. It's like, this is the ending, but here's what happened, you know, kind of a thing. So see if you can follow along with me on this, okay? In Deuteronomy chapter uh, 32, beginning with verse 50, it says, There on the mountain that you have climbed, this is God speaking to Moses. He says, There on the mountain that you have climbed, you will die, and you will be gathered to your people. Just as your brother Aaron died at Mount Hor and was gathered to his people. This is because, here's the why, that God explains to Moses, and apparently Moses got it, you'll see what I mean. This is because both of you broke faith with me in the presence of the Israelites at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the desert of Zin. And because you did not uphold my holiness among the Israelites. 
Therefore, you will see the land only from a distance. You will not enter the land I am giving to the people of Israel. So when Moses was actually at that point when God says, here's the land, he knows already God's going to show him the land, but he's not going to be able to go. And God explains to him why that's the case. So let's look deeper on this a little bit. This is kind of an interesting moment. The incident at the waters of Meribah Kadesh is recorded in Numbers chapter 20. We won't go there just because there's so much to, to cover on this, but I want you to kind of follow along in the story. It's near the end of, the 30, of their, their 40 years of wandering. Wandering in the wilderness. Wandering in the desert. And the Israelites come to this other place called the Desert of Zin. And of course, there is no water. And we are told that the community turned against Moses and Aaron. Surprise, surprise. The Israelites complaining. Can you believe that? And Moses and Aaron went to the tent of meeting. And they prostrated themselves before God. And they began to pray. God told Moses and Aaron to gather the assembly and speak to the rock. Once before, by the way, they needed water, and God said, I want you to strike the rock, and water comes out. But this time, God says, I want you to speak to the rock. There's a reason for this. We'll look at it later. But I want you to speak to the rock, he says. And when you speak to the rock, water will come forth. And Moses got up, took the staff, he gathered the men together, and then seemingly in anger or frustration, Moses said to them, and listen, this is exactly the words he says, listen, you rebels, must we, this is an important word, must we bring you water out of this rock? And then Moses struck the rock twice with his staff. And the water came forth from the rock as God had promised. But God immediately told Moses and Aaron that because they failed to trust him, to trust him enough to honor him as holy, to trust him enough to, to do exactly the way he says it would be, they would not bring the children of Israel into the promised land, that the children of Israel would go into the promised land without them. Wow! Makes you kind of think twice about how particular God is about certain things, doesn't it? Seems a bit harsh, but I want to share with you some really important aspects here. And I think this is very, this is key to understanding what happened to Moses. First, the obvious one is that Moses disobeyed, right? God said, I want you to speak, but he doesn't trust God. What does he do? Takes the staff and he strikes it twice. So there's the disobedience. But boy, you kind of, kind of wonder, like, really, every time I disobey, God's going to be like, no more promised land for you? That's pretty intense, isn't it? Number two, Moses took the credit. Remember what he said? Must we bring water from this rock, right? It's like, it's like I'm doing this, right? It got to the point where he's so frustrated, he's actually taking the credit himself. But number three, I think, is the most important point of it all. And I think this is what matters. 
And don't miss it. As we read the Bible and as we understand the Word of God, last week, remember we talked about the sanctuary and its symbolism? And remember we said that everything pointed to who? To Jesus. <laughs> everything in the Bible points to Jesus. Everything. And the water coming from the rock pointed to who? Jesus. The rock pointed to who? Jesus is the rock of our salvation. The water-giving rock is a symbol of Christ. In Exodus, God had instructed Moses to strike the, the rock, typifying that, that Jesus were to die for our sins. This was a symbol that he'd be struck for us and this water gushes out. When Moses angrily struck the rock the second time, he destroys this biblical typology. And in fact, in effect, it's as if he is crucifying Christ again. And I don't know if you've ever read this in Hebrews, but it says that sometimes some of the stuff we do, it's as if we are crucifying Christ again. And that, my friend, God cannot forgive. Because the Bible says that God, Christ died once for all, and that's what matters. His death by itself covers everything. And in fact, interesting enough, even though Moses was not able to see the promised land, it covered this sin so that Moses could experience salvation. How cool is that? Sometimes I wonder if King Saul would have acted like Moses. And maybe he would have also experienced salvation even though he was taken away from being a king. Does that make any sense to you? Those of you who know the story of King Saul. There is nothing worse than working hard towards a goal investing time and energy, emotional currency, tears and sweat, and then not experiencing the satisfaction and fulfillment to see it through. So close, and yet so far. I mean, Moses went through a lot to experience this. I wonder how many times I, I wonder how many times we have been almost there. I want you to think about your lives and I want, you, I want you to think about those moments, those defining moments in our lives when we were almost there. We were al almost one. We were almost successful, almost secure, almost reaching our destination. Those almost moments, defining moments, shape our destiny. And I wonder, when I look back on my life, how many of those almost moments I blew? The fog of confusion and failure. Anybody get paralyzed because you're afraid you're going to fail? And so you don't try something that maybe God is asking you to go for? And the fog of confusion and failure gets in the way. I remember reading about this woman by the name of Florence Chadwick in 1952 decided to attempt, catch this, 26-mile swim between California coastline and the Catalina Island. 26 
miles swimming. During her swim, Chadwick traveled with a team whose job it was, they were in boats, to keep an eye out for sharks, which I think is a good thing, personally, and be prepared in case there were uh, unexpected cramps, injury, unexpected fatigue, right? And so they were, they were, they were there to make sure that, that she would have the medical assistance that she needed. Roughly 15 hours, 15 hours into her swim, as she is swimming towards the island, a thick fog begins to set in the clouding. And she now no longer can see. I actually have a, uh, I have a picture of her. And, and, and if, if you look her up, you'll see this picture. Some of you guys can do it right now on your phone. There's a picture of her swimming. She's got huge goggles, which I think really was the reason. But anyway, these huge goggles. And she's trying to swim. And it's, and it's so, so foggy. And she begins to relay to her team that she doesn't think she could complete the swim. She swims for another hour, 16 hours in, deciding, I'm not going to be able to do this. And she calls it quits. As she said in the teetering boat, she discovered that if she had continued for just one more mile, less than a mile, just one more mile, she would have reached the island. Twenty-five miles wasted. See, I think many people quit a dream on the brink of its realization. It is when the challenges feel the most daunting that we are often closer to our destination than we ourselves understand and believe. It is at those moments when God is actually pushing us forward and saying, come on, you could do this, you got this. Perhaps for Moses it was the fog of frustration and distrust after so many years. I mean, I get it, don't you? trying to help these people, and all he gets is complain, complain, complain. Perhaps he was tired, weary of the constant complaining and lack of gratitude. Maybe it was fatigue of needlessly wandering in the desert for 40 years. Can you imagine if you're told, you know what, for the next 40 years, you're just going to wander because you're not, this generation is not going there. Can you imagine what that would do to you? Now, I think you and I would agree, as we read this story, that Moses' punishment for this, this, this disobedient act, for his pride and the misrepresentation of Christ's sacrifice, was a steep one. And again, as I mentioned before, I don't, I don't pretend to know exactly the will of God and how he does what he does. I cannot wait to get to heaven and actually help him. Help, help me understand some of these things, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, why did, were you, why did you do this here and not here? Why did you do it here? I get it. I'm with you. But I trust God. And I trust that his will is my highest good. Do you? 
What's amazing about this is no matter how steep this was, we do not see Moses complaining about the punishment. Have you noticed that? There's nothing in the Bible that says, oh, wait a minute. Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> There's nothing about that. Instead, he continues to faithfully lead the people and honor God, even when he knew that this was going to happen. Moses' failure at the rock, and I think this is the difference between Moses and Saul, right? Moses' failure at the rock did not negate or break his relationship with his God. And I think that's what matters, don't you? God continued to use this prophet and continued to love him with tenderness until Moses breathed his last breath on earth. I cannot help but think and wonder what was Moses thinking as he survived this moment? The emptiness and the pain as he surveyed the promised land knowing that he couldn't go. What, what was he thinking? I know what I'd be thinking. I'd be considering another almost moment. The moment that got me to this frustrating moment that happened 40 years before that cost him and the Israelites 40 years in the wilderness. Wouldn't you be doing that too? If only then... How many times have you said, if only then, if only? Some people just live in the land of if only. I like to say, if only we had faith to trust God. Faith that not only believes in the absence of evidence, but believes in the presence of contrary evidence. That kind of faith, huh? In fact, the book of Deuteronomy begins with Moses remembering and recounting that moment. Let's look at it together in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 20 to 26. And then I said to you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God is giving you this land Go up and take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors told you. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged. You'll remember this moment if you read your Bible. And then all of you, he says, you came to me. This is a leader, right? He says, you came to me and you said, let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we are taking and the towns that we will come to. So many times as a leader, I'm like, I think God is taking us here. And somebody says, well, let's have a committee to study whether or not we ought to be really going there. <laughs> Sorry. I'm getting a little ahead of myself here. Uh, nothing wrong with that. In fact, Moses says, the idea seemed good to me. Even though God said, go. So I selected 12 of you, one man from each tribe. He's reminding them this. They left and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshkol and explored it, taking with them some of the fruit of the land. They brought it down to us and reported it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. This is good. They all said that. But then you were unwilling to go up, he says. 
You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear, they said. The people are stronger and taller than, our, than we are. The cities are large by wall, with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Do you remember the story? Only two. Only two said, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 time out. Yes, it's true. There are giants in the land. Yes, it's true. This is a pretty intimidating situation. But God has promised us that we can take this land. So come on. Do you remember who those two were? Joshua and Caleb, which, by the way, end up being the only two from that generation that cross into the promised land. The only two that said we can believe what God has said. The giants. Sometimes our almost moments are overpowered by the giants in our lives. Isn't that true? We're ready to take it by storm and go, but then fear takes off. We heard God saying, go and I will be with you. You got this. I got the giants. We got this. But we choose rather to hear the voices of hopelessness. The voices that say, no, I'm not sure about that scientifically. Or the past. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've gone to a church and said, hey, we, we want to try this for young people. Not, not this church, by the way, but other churches. And they would say, no, pastor, we've tried that in the past. It doesn't work. No, 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 no. You tried it in the past, not me. Right? You tried it, maybe without faith. I'm willing to try it with some faith. Right? You've been fishing all night and caught nothing, but maybe if I go fishing with Jesus in the boat, we're going to catch some stuff. We look backwards rather than upwards. We embrace the certainty of what we know rather than the uncertainty that demands faith. I think God sometimes wants us to embrace uncertainty. I really believe that if we cannot be transformed by faith, we will settle for being informed and conformed by doubt and fear. I'm going to repeat that because I don't think you guys got that. I really believe that if we cannot be transformed by faith, we will settle for being informed and conformed by doubt and fear. But see, God is asking us to conquer by faith. To conquer the fear of the future. To conquer the reproach of the past. To conquer the, distra the distractions of the present. To conquer the temptation to sit in the captain's seat. We will all meet giants in our lives. Yes, some of us have met many giants, health-destroying giants, financial giants, emotional giants, family-wrecking giants, 
personal self-doubting giants. We all meet them every day. Nobody is different here, by the way. All of us are broken. All of us are going through the pain. All of us have experienced this and are experiencing this more and more. And it's going to get worse as we get close to the second coming. I just want you to know that if we don't now practice and begin to live by faith, how are we going to make it? I'm not worried about heaven. God's promised that already. I'm talking about surviving the craziness in this world. We're going to need some powerful, powerful angel armies. And we're going to need to be able to believe in those angel armies. Don't you, don't you agree? We will all meet giants, opposition, challenges. Please, please, please. Purpose now not to make them bigger than God. Because even the giants that are bigger than us are just like little ants to God. <laughs> so we are at the end of Moses' journey. It's 40 years later. A whole generation has died except for a few faithful. The voice of hope and faith. In the waterless places is where they had to learn to be content. To be faithful. To be conquerors. And now they hear God saying the following words. And we're going we're gonna to complete the circle with these words. I love these words. Deuteronomy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. I'm actually going to be reading it from the voice. I love this. I don't know if you've ever heard God say this to you. <laughs> Finally, it says, Deuteronomy chapter 2, 1, 2, and 3. Finally, we did as the Eternal had commanded. And we headed back into the wilderness toward the Red Sea. For a long time, we wandered around Mount Seir. And then it says, until at last I got new instructions from the Eternal. Don't miss these instructions. You have wandered around this mountain long enough. Turn north. You have wandered around this mountain long enough. Turn north. You have been in the wilderness long enough. Turn north. You've had a self-pity party long enough. Turn north. You've been complaining long enough. Turn north. You've been worried about no water, no meat, no food. Turn north. You've been dealing with this habit. Turn north. You've been dealing with the insecurities for so long. Let them go. Turn north. Some of us need to hear these words. You've wandered around this mountain long enough. Turn north. Today is the day. That God is going to, to, to help you conquer. Today is the day that we get to trust God to help us conquer. I don't know what mountains you need to leave behind. I don't know what territory the Lord wants you to conquer next. But here's what I know. From my own personal experience, don't focus on the giants. Don't focus on your regrets and failures. You are no longer your past. 
You are no longer your mistakes. You no longer need to wander around the mountain aimlessly. God has set you free. Do you believe it? He's given you a purpose. And today you are a new creation. So go and conquer. Amen? We will finish this one passage and then the worship team can come up. You can actually come up now if you'd like. Deuteronomy chapter 34, 5 through 7. This is how the chapter of Moses' life ends. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab. As the Lord had said, catch this, he, God, buried him in Moab. I'd like to have God as your undertaker. In the valley opposite of Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. I think God did that on purpose so that they would not idolize Moses. Now catch this next slide, Fred. This is for you and me, ready? Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength God. Isn't that cool? In other words, hold on, don't miss what this is saying here. He didn't die of old age. He didn't die because he was sick. How did he die? We don't know. But Brother Tom said something to me, I think last week, that I thought was pretty amazing. Tom Fisher comes up to me and says, you know, we don't know how Moses died, but we do know this. The Bible says that nobody can see God face to face and live. And yet the Bible says that Moses saw God face to face. Is it possible that the way Moses died on that mountain was that God finally showed himself and during that moment where he fell asleep, God resurrected him. We know later on that God resurrects Moses and Moses now gets to cheer his team from heaven. I don't know about you, man, but that's the kind of faith I want. And I pray for that kind of faith for you and for me. Go and conquer. Take those angel armies with you and trust God with all your heart.